1: Hello, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast, where we explore some of the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr.
2: I'm Scarlett Foo.
1: And I'm Damien Sassauer. Oh my, and another big wig in sports with Galatioto's sports partners. Also, he is business of sports professor at Columbia Business School. Sal Galatioto, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports
3: yeah, thanks, Michael. I, mm-hmm. that, that's a great buildup, but I'm um, actually nobody.
1: Far <laughs> <laughs> oh, <apart> from it. <laughs> you, we left so much on the practice field. You guys should have heard the stuff that we're going to talk about, all the stuff that we were off the air on. we we got to talk about some of this stuff. But first, uh, welcome back, because thanks. you were on the show uh, several years ago.
3: Yes, and- I was. Yeah. And by the was, way, you have the greatest voice I've ever heard. It's the you best know, voice uh, in radio.
1: Yeah. It is. And a face for radio too, as you can <laughs> yeah. see. You? Look <laughs> at me. Come on. We kidding? <laughs> there are a lot of teams out there for sale. And the future is I don't know what's going to happen to the future. Some of these, I think the latest one is the news about the the Phoenix Suns and the and the, the Mercury. Tell us about that and what's going on because, man, uh, Matt Ishbia, is, it's, this is looking good.
3: Look, I have never seen more demand for professional sports franchises than I've seen now. Yeah. It's, and I've been doing this for 30 years. It's not like I just started, okay? Why? Okay? All right. Think about this. When I started in this business 30 years ago, my first client was the San Antonio Spurs. They were playing in the Alamo Dome. They had the big curtain that went across the building. You remember
1: that? Uh, Yeah. yeah.
3: (laughs) All right. You could have bought the San Antonio Spurs for $80 million. No joke. Okay. $80 million. What What is that? What the six man's contract (laughs) is on the team? Maybe not not even the six man. Okay. But why have values gone up? Right. It's not like you have a whole bunch of dopey people that have decided, gee, I'm just going to start overpaying for this stuff. There are a bunch of reasons. Okay. So look. One, and the most important, is media content value, right? You guys know that. You're in the media, all right? There's no content like this. As technology continues to improve and people can record their favorite shows and edit out the commercials, there's no content like this. 99.5% of people that watch sports watch it live. Mm -hmm. I mean, if your favorite team's already played, you're not recording it unless you got off a plane from Tokyo or something and watching it. You're watching it live. What other content can you say that about? So that's the first thing. The second thing is this is an unbelievable alternative asset class. Unbelievable. It is so resistant to recession. Okay? And I'll give you an example. Okay? Because I'm good at giving examples. Please, we want examples. <laughs> All right. Three weeks before Bear Stearns blew up. I was going to say went bankrupt, but somebody mm-hmm. out there is going to say they never really went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, they did, but the government saved them. Three weeks. I got hired by the Ricketts family to represent them to buy the Cubs. Okay? Mm-hmm. Well, so keep going. During the process, the world banking system collapsed. Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. AIG should have gone bankrupt. Uh, the Tribune companies, which owned the freaking right. cups, yeah,
2: you had to go through went bankrupt.
3: So, yeah. They had 13 and a half Billion, billion dollars of liabilities. So we had to take the Cubs through a bankruptcy sale. A Must have taken three years. Must sale. have taken, yeah. right? Four year, three, four years. Yeah, took three years from the day they <laughs> signed me, they signed me up to the day we closed. Wait, we still wound up paying eight hundred forty-five million dollars, which at that time was the highest price ever paid for a baseball team in the worst recession I've ever seen. Now you could say it's the Cubs. Okay, there were seven control sales. Seven during the Great Recession. This was the auction? Yeah. When Major League Baseball didn't want you to do the auction, right? No, no, that's the Texas Rangers. I got more of that. Okay, so wait, so wait. Seven sales, six of them set record prices. The only one that didn't was the Pittsburgh Steelers sale and that's because one of the brothers bought in the other brothers at a below market price because in that auction, I had a bidder, all cash, all cash that would have made it the highest price ever paid for an NFL team. What other asset class can you say that about in the great in the Great Recession? Right. None. Okay, so you got that. Mm-hmm. Okay, you have scarcity value. Now, I'm not that bright, so I don't remember a lot from my economics classes. But I remember this: they don't make any more of these things. <laughs> I mean, once once every twenty years, thirty years, they have an expansion. Mm-hmm. But basically, supply is fixed. If supply is fixed and demand goes up, price goes up. That's the only thing I remember from economics. The rest of the time, I snooze through it. Okay? So, that's what's happening here. The last thing that you can't quantify, nobody can quantify, is if you're a bazillionaire, you get tremendous ego gratification value. I can build you a financial model to show you what a team is worth, except that it will sell for higher. Because... That ego gratification number is impossible to quantify. If you have $60 billion and you're 70 years old, I don't know, your favorite team comes on the market. You're not going to be outbid. And so the price gets driven up. Mm-hmm. It is, look, this is a very simple business. If it was complicated, I couldn't do it. I'm not that <laughs> smart. Okay, let's be honest. I mean, and you could talk to a lot of people. You know, I once said that I, I always hire people smarter than me. And somebody else said, well, in your case, it would be impossible not to. Who <laughs> <He> said that. <laughs> One of my competitors. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> now, and I, now I keep that line because I love it.
1: But, but, so, but you know, not just about, it.
2: it's not just about buying and selling franchises, right? You've had experience. you know. I think you did a credit facility for the Yankees. Some of these kind of more structured deals, especially some of these kind of banking deals, you need to back it by something, right? Something tangible.
3: But I know what the thing is worth. If I'm lending money to Team X, and I lend what I think is 50 cents on the dollar against that asset, I am well protected. I know the value of that asset. Now, sometimes things get screwed up and you make a mistake, okay, but you try to rectify that mistake. Now, there are very few bankruptcies in Major League Sports. Look at the worst scenario for sports was COVID, Mm -hmm. right? You couldn't get any people to go. I mean, you you lost a whole big revenue stream. It was a mess, you couldn't even play. And yet how many teams went bankrupt during that period? Yeah, yeah. None. And what happened during that period? The Mets sold for the highest price ever <laughs> right, right, for right. a Major League Baseball team. Right. So this is a very resilient asset class and it's special, it's different. So it's if, just, you, if you can if can I'm sorry, just if you ahead. if you
2: had a if you look at a capital stack for a major NFL franchise or Major League whatever it is, I'm sure it's different as you go 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 through the big 3, but would you say the percentage of, you know, tangibles versus non-tangibles. What do you see that? You, you talk about, you know, that trophy factor, you know, that risk premium that's added over and above the asset, the liquidation, but call it what you will for the franchise. You know, we've talked about stadium and real estate. We can talk about data and content, all we want, media rights. But my question is, what percentage of that $4 billion or $5 billion purchase price is ego gratification? I mean, what I, would you... I, it's,
3: it's probably the last 15 or 20%. Okay, so it's 20%. I mean, it's think a about value. this. Think about this. My golden retriever, could run an NFL franchise and make money. <laughs> okay? And my golden retriever died four years ago. Okay? It is Im- almost no, impossible be- to lose money in the NFL. You got a hard cap, right? Yeah. You have all the leverage in the world over the players because they have limited playing. Right. You get perfect revenue sharing. Everybody gets the same amount from the national, whether you're in Buffalo or in Dallas. you get The only difference is... Is, the, is what you can generate from your venue, from your building. So in Dallas, you can have a million luxury suites. In Buffalo, you can't, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But everybody will make money just from the national media contract. It is a perfect business model for the owner. It's, I guess you would call it socialism for billionaires.
1: <laughs> and like I said, there's only 32 <laughs> of them. Right, in well, that, that's what a lot of the
4: soccer team owners uh, are thinking, the ones in Europe who wanted to create their own Super League because they their business model is different. Sal, I, I wanna the way you describe everything is so accessible. Don Kissy, our superstar producer who booked you was a student of yours at Columbia Business School. Um Ooh,
3: Dawn, yay! Yay, Dawn yay.
4: She and I are women, we are not from the sports world, but we're intrigued by it. If we wanted to get in on this business, how it sounds like uh, it's a it's an old boys club. And you know, I think every day that when we talk about this it feels very much like it. And you're 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 looking at me like, yep, this no. is it. Let I'm telling you out. that
3: the world has changed. Um,
4: how, how would we get in? Well, how would look, we be part of this?
3: First of all, you got to have a gazillion dollars. Okay? <laughs> Let's be honest. Nobody's getting in on this if they don't. All
1: mm-hmm. right?
3: Because asset values are so high. But we're selling a franchise right now, uh, a hockey franchise, where there's an all-women's group that's looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we're we getting bids uh, and interest from all over the world. We had a uh, baseball team on the market where I had a very, very serious Asian bidder. Um, very serious, who had a ton of money, but that goes without saying, mm-hmm. right? The beauty of this business is the leagues want diversity. They want minority owners. They want women owners. they want. But the problem is that the capitalist structure is such that certain people control the wealth. But that's changing. And if you look at the wealth tables around the world... A lot more billionaires are being created outside North America than inside North America. And when that happens, I, I went to a conference. Uh, I, I met a, a guy from Africa at, at some conference in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago. He was interested in potentially buying an NBA team. You know what? He goes into my database. Yeah. You don't think the NBA would love to have— How
4: big is your database?
3: Well, it's 30 years <laughs> old, so yeah, it's right. pretty big.
4: Has it, gotten, has it multiplied just in the last 10 years? I mean, what's the growth rate of that database?
3: I spend tons of time getting to know people, meeting people. My business is as much a know-who business mm-hmm. as a know-how business. People have to trust you. People have to believe in you. If they don't, look, it's not a complicated business model here. I mean, uh, your expenses are the players, right? And- your cash streams are what? Media, attendance, uh, yeah, merch, I mean, selling hot dogs. It's not that complicated, like I said. I mean, even I can do it.
2: Uh, so, so I have to ask this. I have to just jump in here. You talk about the international money. You're asking about the list of clients. And so we all know what's going on in EPL right now. We know about the Qataris, the consortiums out of mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia. We know all this. I have to ask this question. You've been structuring these deals your whole time. What type of disclosure do the leagues require from owners who are bidding on these franchises. Mm-hmm. And when I say disclosure, financial disclosure, how much wealth do you have? Because the ambiguity, I mean, we see this every day in my business. You know, I cover emerging markets here for Bloomberg. You know, how do you know that they are what they say they are, that they have what they say they have, especially when they're not domiciled here in the US? And then my second question is do we see when these ownership groups are formed and they actually do take ownership of the teams from a tax perspective? And I'm sure you deal with tax all the time. Are they like Delaware LLCs? Or are they some like <laughs> offshore came in like LLP? I'm just I'm just curious what the league expects and is
3: entitled to. In North America, the leagues do an incredibly thorough job of vetting every applicant. For instance, in a baseball process, I can't I can set up a data room, you can't get into it until you filled out a full major league baseball application right. and have been vetted by the league. Before you're vetted by the league and before I take you to the league, I'm vetting you. We're doing a ton of research, nobody's gonna slip by, okay? The last thing I ever want is for the winning bidder to be turned down by baseball, right. or by the NFL, or by the NBA, or the NHL. It needs to be a short right? thing by then. But in Europe, it's different. It depends on the league. Yeah. I mean, if you wanna buy a team in Syria, ah, if you're on your way to prison, you might not get approved. <laughs> if you're in prison, you probably won't get approved. <laughs> They don't ask where the money's coming. They don't ask anything. All right, amazing. We got to get Jonathan
2: Farrell. So there's button.
3: a there's a big, <laughs> That's amazing. Big, there's a big difference depending on where you are, but here you would never get by. I mean, my worst nightmare is something like that happening. That's why I do transactions in in Europe. We were financial advisors to Redbird in their acquisition of AC right. last year, but I don't do a lot between promotion and relegation where your risk. Profile goes through the roof. Right. Uh-huh. right here, you could lose every game in the NFL. You buy Doesn't some matter. team, you go one one sixteen, and you're still an NFL team.
1: I know a team that did that a few years <laughs> ago in Detroit. <laughs> well, but, uh, you're, from, I, I'm not naming you're from Detroit, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> but
3: you're still an NFL team. You still have the value of being an NFL team. You can turn. You do that in Europe, you start getting relegated. Right, you're going down. Yeah, a, down, down, down. You may go away. <laughs> in value. So you have to be if I were a lender in Europe, which I'm not, boy, you better be a, a lot more well, careful. Yeah, that's like Everton
1: model. right now. In fact, they they're hoping that they don't get demoted. And, and that's why it's like, okay, we, we got to get some money now. And they're trying to build a new stadium. But so think about
2: your focus as yeah. an owner, right? I yeah. mean, like, think about I mean what we're talking about here in the US is ticket sales and stadium and media rights and content, how important that is when you're running a for profit. Mm-hmm. But in Europe, you know, they've got to spend so much time focused on team performance, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you get relegated, you're done. You get, right? Yeah. You're done. You're done. It's a different business it's a model. Different, completely.
3: Different business model. And no matter how insane the fans are, here,
2: oh, they're insane. Multiply that by hundred. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
3: if yeah. you're not winning, good luck showing up to the building. It's, it's
4: a religion. It's it's a it's, religion. it's a religion. religion. Yeah.
3: yeah, it's a religion, and not the best religion. <laughs> if you're an owner and not winning. So, so uh,
2: again, so from a tax perspective here in the U.S., I mean, are you seeing, for example, you know, we know um, what's going on in Phoenix. We we know what's going on in Washington. I mean. Do these bidders need to have a US, you know, entity that's taking ownership? Must it remain domiciled in the US if you're bidding on an NFL or an NBA franchise? It has to be. Up right? to now, yes. Yeah, okay. And
3: and you know, look, every every prospective buyer is a different tax situation. So that's their problem, not right, my problem. Right they they take that into account when they're formulating that bid
2: right right um, but the opco or the or the ownership co is a us based entity yeah. and then however their ownership is structured within that then they can play with the ic but IC. but
3: but in most bids you'll see it's an individual that's buying the, the thing right. i mean that's what we focus in on is is that person able to support this team even in really tough times right because a lot of these teams don't make money so you have to be able to write a check to subsidize mm-hmm. the team So, when people ask me, what sport do you like the best? It depends on the franchise, not the sport. NFL team is great, but if I could buy the Toronto Maple Leafs, oh my God. I mean, when's the last time they won the Stanley Cup? I mean, 1967, I think. Yet, every game is sold out. They have the highest ticket prices in the league, no matter what the foreign exchange rate is. It's religion in Canada. Hockey is incredible, right? But... If you're talking about some other sport, you know, the NBA is great, except that if you're in the, a tough market, you've got a problem. The, and it's the same in baseball, right? There are some great markets. There are some not so great markets. The NFL it doesn't matter. Good luck with that.
1: <laughs> well, that's like the old saying, and you ask an owner, it's like, well, when do you make money on the team when you sell it?
3: <laughs> you, you make money on exit. Yeah. You do. And in 30 years, 30 years, I have never, ever, represent anybody that lost money on sale, <laughs> ever. Wow. E- even in the most adverse circumstances and the worst franchise you could think of, pick a team. You pick a number, I'll tell you I'll get hired than that number. <laughs> right. I will. Amazing. I mean, it, it's hard work. It's a lot of marketing. It's going into my database of finding out seven years ago, some guy said to me, who's worth a gazillion dollars, that his favorite team is whatever that team is. And when it comes on the market, to call him. So right, he gets one poke at that pick because once that team is sold, it may not be sold again for twenty or thirty mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm.
4: So you're making the case that for these pro, pro sports teams, uh, fixed supply, they're not go- they're not bubble assets because they w- there's always going to be value in them. So I'm intrigued by the explosion of these other leagues, like pickleball for instance. Mm. When you look at how much people are spending to invest in a pickleball league or a team or buy something like that, do you think, oh, that's bubble territory or this is a sign of the times? Or do you see like a real grounding in, it in those valuations, a business case for those teams for those
3: leagues. You want me to be honest? Please. I don't think about pickleball. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think about you know, indoor lacrosse. Like trading crypto or, to him. You know, yeah, it's like trading Small crypto to uh-huh. yeah, I, I, It's baseball, football, basketball, hockey, European soccer, right. period. Right. I have eight people, and they work like animals. They they do. They're, they're wonderful, but... We work, right? Mm -hmm. You know what my first job was? I shined shoes when I was 10 years old. You know what? Shining shoes is work. It's hot. It's yicky. What I do is not work. I mean, it's indoors. It's climate controlled. I deal with billionaires. Everybody I talk to almost every day is a billionaire. I mean- Well, you think think of some of these billionaires
2: and, and what happens is, let's say, heaven forbid, somebody passes away and then it's the children and the family. I mean, how much do you deal with the little spats that go on inside these I with, he's a
3: family uh, shrink I, I mean do. you have to be right I, I mean, do I do and, and you know what it's like death I, and divorce that's the way a team gets old right but you gotta remember a lot of these people I know their families right Right? I've known them for many many years it's not like I meet somebody and he's gonna sell his team next year it could be 10 years it could be 20 years I mean you so can knee a Christmas. you meet Christmas. the kids you meet the family you develop a rapport with them and hopefully when it's time for the Either they get old enough that they want to sell it, or their estate, you get a chance to bid on the business. Because remember, we're a tiny firm. I've, we're eight people. And, right. you know, our competition are firms that have offices all over the world. They have thousands of employees, they have a bazillion dollars in capital,. Yeah, yeah. But we get more than our share of the business because people trust us, and we know we will take care of them. I mean that, you know everyone. And they're, and they're friends. I mean, it's funny. I mean, I will sit there and listen to some guy tell me his point guard twisted his ankle. And and I'm thinking, this guy's worth $10 billion and his point guard twisted his no, ankle. I I'll that? talk to him for an hour about it.
2: But the, so don't you find that amazing that owners tend to focus so much on the team and team performance when they own this massive business oh. with stadium and media and content, oh. and yet and yet is that really still the owners forget that? Are
4: you referring to Steve Cohen?
3: I'm just saying in general. <laughs> For,
4: <Okay>. Forget <laughs> that.
2: Forget that.
3: Uh, and I won't tell you the guy's name, but I had a uh, one a very good friend, client, owns several teams. Probably net worth was probably forty billion dollars. And the only thing he wanted to talk about was his sports assets, which were about 2% of what he owned. <laughs> <laughs> he would talk about that. For, he would call me and we talked for an hour and a half. If you wanted to talk to him right. about his base business, like, he wouldn't even talk to you about it. Because he, loves the, he loved the yeah. asset. Yeah. I mean, it's fun, right? Microchips aren't fun. <laughs> yeah. wow. You, you, you wow.
1: made me think of an old Richard Pryor oh, joke, and God. I can't I say it. Get, we here. can summarize the podcast as that because it's
4: fun. It is, but it is microchips are fun.
3: Look, I went. I I was given a speech at this hoity-toity Ivy League university about sports, and the guy before me was talking about marginal utility and the reason people buy things is marginal utility, and I'm sitting there. Saying, shut up, don't raise your hand. You're an idiot. You're going to go on next. This guy's like got more degrees than a the thermometer. Do not leave him alone. But no, I can't do it. I raise my hand and I'm like, okay, margin utility. Let's see. Every Ferrari exported into the United States is sold, every single one. Now let's think about the margin utility. They're reliable. No. They're cheap to maintain. No. They're cheap to insure. No.
1: um, Wait, wait, wait.
3: They're easy to fix when they break down. No. No. Why do people buy Ferraris? Because they want to. Because they get... Pleasure out of driving the car. It's like, why does somebody buy a $25,000 watch that tells time when they can buy a $50 watch that tells time? It's not marginal utility. It's because they have enough money to buy it. There are all kinds of luxury They do games. it because they can. That's right. Amazing. And of course, I destroyed this poor guy's argument <laughs> and then he was all mad. <laughs> but, but it's true. And this is just look, people buy fine art. They buy expensive automobiles. They buy incredible real estate. Okay, they buy, I, I take what you're saying, can. but sometimes- It's um, fun.
4: Sometimes some bidders might just want to own a professional sports team, and it it's almost like they don't care which league gets in or what team it, it is. I never
3: found that. No? Some they, people, people tell you they have a favorite sport. Some people will say, I won't do whatever. Some people, like, all I want is an NBA team. I've always wanted It doesn't NBA matter team. what city it is. It doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't even matter what city it is.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Some people are very specific. If their favorite team comes up on the market, that's right. why I can't even... You asked me what the New York Yankees are worth. They're my biggest client, one of my biggest clients. I have no idea. Right. Because if you had an auction for the New York Yankees, yeah. we'd have people lined up from here to the Empire State yeah. Building with open checkbooks who could write a check. I don't know. Somebody will pay a crazy price. Whatever the market will bear. Yeah. Yes, and that's the key. Something's worth what it, the market is in a free auction is willing to pay for it. All I love. I love like people ask me, and we do a lot of valuation work. We value this, value that. What I say the thing's worth doesn't matter. It's what the market tells you something's worth, and there is. The great thing about capitalism is it creates billionaires all the time, all over the world. So you're going to see values of, you know, the two biggest international sports are soccer and basketball. And as wealth is created in places like Africa and more wealth is created in Asia, those two sports are going to benefit. They, they are going to benefit and they're going to continue to benefit. But that's not to say the other sports won't benefit, too, because...
4: That billionaire's list just got a lot longer. Yeah. It's
3: hard for me to express the level of interest. I mean, there are people in Asia that love baseball. They love baseball. Yeah, yeah. And they're billionaires being created in those economies. And if a baseball team comes up on the market, especially a West Coast team, they're going to be all over it like ugly, uh, yeah. on a, you know, <laughs> like a Doberman on a purse statue <laughs> <laughs> They're just not going to stop. And and. They want to win. So,
2: so so talk to me about in some of these bidding process, right? You have you know big banks are involved. I mean, I I I may be wrong here. I happen to remember you representing. Was it Mark Cuban? It may have been Mark Cuban. And Mm -hmm. there was an auction, and it was not J.P. Morgan's best. Can you just draw? Like, how do you deal with a situation like that, right? Where
4: it's Sal versus a bank,
2: right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. where it's you and like you said, your four partners against J.P. Morgan. You know, how do you how does that
3: happen? Uh. You have to be insane like me. (laughs) Um, You have to stand your ground, you have to really believe that you know the market better than they do. Mm -hmm. You have to believe that you know the asset values better than they do. And, you know, I hate to say it, but I do. (laughs) And they don't, and to them, you know, move on to the next deal. Look, Mm -hmm. if a giant institution screws up, so what? They move on to the next deal. Nobody's, they're not going to go out of business. I screw up, I'm out of business. Right. I'm done. Right. If I tell somebody I'm, I can get you this price for something and I don't deliver, I'm pretty much done. Right. If they do it, eh, okay, next. And you think that all these auctions for all these
2: teams, the way that the leagues themselves are handling them, uh, it, it, it is, because you said it was socialistic amongst the owners before, so I just want to be clear, the process itself is is purely capitalistic?
3: They will take the highest bid on the table or are there times where they won't? We vet the people with the leagues. All right. So we will never be in a position where the high bidder is not somebody approvable Right, right, the so league. it's got to be. I don't, I ne- like I said, I never want to be in a position where the high bidder is somebody who has approval issues. Yeah. Now, no, no, that's, that that's fair,
4: happen. but does the highest bidder always win or is there a case where the league and the other owners would prefer a different kind of owner?
3: Um, it's the seller. Not the league, okay? Um, the seller may just, especially if he wants to stay in for in a In the piece. city, right,
2: if you want to stipulate, right. right?
3: Like in Ottawa, I think they're doing that, right? Yeah, they don't uh, want the team to leave. Right. Um, if if you want to stay in for mm-hmm, a piece, mm-hmm. you want a good partner. Mm-hmm. Or you may have, yeah, you may not want the team to leave. You want to make sure it's somebody who will take care of the asset. You know, it's your legacy. It's It's all over the place. Wow. Okay. But the person that determines it especially if you have no limited partners. If you own 100%, you can do anything you want. If you have a bunch of limited partners and you don't take the high bid, you may have a problem, okay? (laughs) But um, generally, in my experience, it's the owner that determines the league. Look, the league wants you to get the highest bid, but they also want you to get the best owner. They don't want to have issues after you buy the thing. I don't want to have issues. Look, it's important to me that the leagues view me positively, right? Because if I'm bringing people that are going to be a pain into the leagues, I'm not going to make a lot of friends and influence people. And so I'm
1: very careful. I have to ask about, you brought up a good point, the Buffalo Bills, they're building a new stadium. Mm-hmm. And the state is kicking in hundreds of millions of dollars. Damien Sassauer
4: as tax-paying New Yorker, <laughs> yeah. are kicking in <laughs> this
2: I, I, And a yeah. long-standing New York Jet fan, by the way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you couldn't, if you're a Buffalo Bills In management, you couldn't go wrong with that deal.
3: No comment. <laughs> I am not, as a citizen of the state of New York, I am not going up against the state of New York. You guys are out of Take your it. mind. That's it. It. That's it. I'm done.
4: You didn't even bring up the governor of New York, who's from the Buffalo I'm,
3: yeah. done. I'm not talking about this. Thank you very much for playing my game, but I helped doing it.
2: I do have one one last question before we lose you, right? I mean, and, and I just have to say because I'm a New Yorker, born and bred, but I can't help but respect what John Henry's built up in Boston. You know what I mean? And Fenway Sports. <coughs> is an absolute monster. And yet, you see, if I'm not mistaken, Fenway Sport's taken a bit of a step back in some of their holdings lately, right? I mean, is that sort of... I know, you know, you you are talking your book here, but to me, you know, just looking at an outsider looking in, it seems like maybe he said, you know, we're getting close to fully... How many more billions can you possibly make in
3: Liverpool? I I just... I'm trying to... Or, or, Or maybe he is selling some assets... To redeploy that money into other mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. other, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah would that be? I would, I would not be surprised. I'm not going to comment further. Savvy, savvy that. Guy.
1: <laughs> I knew this was going to happen because he's, okay, we got them for a little window here. Sal,
4: can you come back every
1: yes. month? Yes, every month. Yeah, just come on back. I love man. you guys. Yeah, uh, I, you great. know, this
3: it's is great. fun.
1: <laughs> this is every funny. month, please. Now I got to go
3: <laughs> back and negotiate with people. I'm um, have a tax call on this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's better than shining shoes in bushwear. Well, yeah, or. I used to unload. Uh, I used to load trucks at the Canada Dry bottling <laughs> plant in Massmouth, Queens. That was fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wonderful.
1: <laughs> Sal Galatioto with Galatioto Sports Partners, also business of sports professor at Columbia Business School. Thank you so much, Sal. Oh, it was
3: great. On. Anytime, guys.
1: And you are always here. At your home for the Bloomberg business of sports. By the way, our podcast, and if you download this, I hope you got a lot of room when you download <laughs> this because this is a long one. Uh, you can get, get our show every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And by the way, download that show wherever you get your podcast. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Dick Barr Sports.
4: And I'm Scarla Fu. And shout out to Don Kissy for booking the wonderful Salad Shout
2: out to Don Kissy times two. I'm Damian Sassauer at Deep Sassauer.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Bloomberg Business of Sports, Bloomberg Radio around the world.